Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. Today on State of the World, Adapting to a Changing Climate. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories, up close, where they're happening. I'm Christine Arasmith. Climate change was a factor in some of the biggest stories this year. Record floods, fires, and temperatures. Now, the race is on to find ways to adapt. Today, we bring you two such stories. In a few minutes, trying to birth new glaciers in Pakistan. But first, to Bangladesh. It's low-lying. So flooding is a constant threat, and it has some of the world's worst cyclones. Despite this, surprisingly, fatalities from natural disasters have fallen. Because Bangladesh isn't just ground zero for climate disaster, it's also a hotspot for solutions. Here's NPR's Lauren Freyer. Right now it's the dry season, and I'm on a roughly 25-foot wooden boat making my way through like a web of capillaries that covers northern Bangladesh. Narrow, muddy, tiny rivers. There's some water buffalo, fishing boats, some children running along the riverbank waving. But in the wet season, this just becomes a a shallow sea. A shallow sea that last June swept away the house that Majida Begum had lived in for 60 years. She squats in the mud where her kitchen used to be, scaling fish with a dull blade. Seasonal floods are part of life here, but they've gotten increasingly erratic, and last year's were the worst Majida had ever seen. Pretty soon we'll be living in the tops of trees, she says, or the land will be strewn with our bodies. I tell my American friends, you know, you send your skeptics to Bangladesh. The awareness of climate change is the highest in the world. Climate scientist Salimul Haq says that while Bangladesh contributes only a tiny fraction of global carbon emissions, everyone here feels their effects. This country is basically a giant river delta that gets inundated as Himalayan glaciers melt, as monsoon rains come in spasms now, and as sea levels rise. But Haq says... We have gone through the doom and gloom phase. That's yesterday's news in Bangladesh. Now it's all about solutions, using satellites to track cyclones, buoys with solar-powered sensors to measure sea level, and 4G cell phone service in areas that might not even have electricity or plumbing, so that... When something happens, almost everybody on land gets the message, gets to shelter, and survive. It's not the technology, it's social capital. It's people knowing what to do. That is Bangladesh's biggest asset. Majida Begum, whose house washed away... She knew when to flee because of a warning sent out by this man hundreds of miles south in the capital, Dhaka. Partho, P-A-R-T-H-O. Parto Protin Barua is an engineer at Bangladesh's Flood Forecasting and Warning Center. Last June, he noticed an unprecedented amount of rain forecast for the Himalayan foothills, an area that's been deforested in recent years. There is no grass or no trees on the hills, so the water just rushed rush downstream. 
downstream to low-lying Bangladesh. So he called up his colleague, Nazma Akhtar, in the far north of the country near the Indian border. She's a housewife with a side job reading a gauge in her local river. This with the numbers on it, it's like a scale showing the river level. Water level, water level. It looks like a yardstick in the riverbank. She checks it five times a day and sends readings to Dhaka by text message on her indestructible old Nokia brick phone. Bangladesh has hundreds of people like Nazma, regular folks, not scientists, who monitor water levels on the front lines of climate change. Last June, Nazma's readings were 15 times higher than normal, a sign of massive rainfall to the north even before it began raining here. So Nazma says she knew what was coming, some of the worst flash floods ever to hit her country. And she felt a duty to warn people. Back in Dhaka, Parto, the engineer, got Nazma's data from the north, plugged it into his hydrological model, and totally freaked out. It broke like the records of like last 100 to 150 years. So he grabbed a little microphone attached to his desktop computer and recorded this message on June 19th, 2022. Assalamu Warning people in the north of the country to evacuate. We try to keep it as simple as possible and as short as possible. And then he holds his breath and hopes people get it in time. That message went out on Bangladesh's emergency warning system as a smartphone push notification, but also as an analog recording, accessible even on old Nokias like Nazmas. Meanwhile, up north, Majida Begum was in her kitchen scaling fish and watching the sky cloud over. She lives two hours boat ride from the nearest road, and farther still from any flood shelter. She does not have a phone, neither does her neighbor, Noor Jahan, but Noor's nephew does. I don't know what kids do with those fancy phones, Noor says, but somehow that day, we got the scientists' warning. It was actually two days after Parto had sent it out, and the nephew got the message that the warning spread by word of mouth through this village and the river was already lapping at the edge of Majida's kitchen. We took refuge on a boat and went three days without food, she recalls. But everyone in their village survived. Old Bangladeshi folk songs celebrate seasonal rains as bringing life rather than trauma. A group of musicians in this village have been reviving those songs and also writing new ones with lyrics encouraging people not to chop down trees or toss litter. Because music, too, is a timeless rural tool for spreading awareness and staying safe. Since last June's devastating flood, neighbors here have been rebuilding raised houses atop sandbags and fortifying the foundations with local indigenous materials. This one is newly built. It's still a mud floor, but it's also mixed with cow dung, and they seal the floor so that when this house does flood, it doesn't become a muddy mess. It sort of acts like a varnish. Majida also built herself something handy, a cook stove that's portable instead of being fixed to the ground. So that the next time she has to evacuate, and she's sure there will be a next time, 
At least her family won't go hungry. Lauren Freyer, NPR News in Sunamganj, northern Bangladesh. Next, can you make a baby glacier? Villagers in the mountains of Pakistan say yes. This message comes from NPR sponsor Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teladochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. In Pakistan's highlands, glaciers are life. Residents rely on their melt for water, and many believe a Sufi saint taught their ancestors how they could create new glaciers by mating male and female glaciers with each other. That tradition faded decades ago, but rapidly melting glaciers due to a changing climate mean the practice is getting a second look. It's one of the ways people are scrambling to adapt, as NPR's Dia Hadid reports from Baltistan in far northern Pakistan. Yasin Malik sings as he takes us up the mountain looming over his village, Chunda. It wiles the time as we walk for hours to a cavern that residents believe is inhabited by ice-dwelling ghosts and fairies, which protect a baby glacier that Malik and his friends made by following an ancient tradition. They hope it will grow to replace the glaciers the village has long relied on, glaciers that are melting away. As shepherds pass, Malik tells me glacier mating is done by mixing white glaciers, which they believe are female, with male glaciers, which are brown, the colour formed by debris. Two years ago in winter, Malik climbed K2, the world's second highest mountain, to get chunks of the best male glaciers. Others trekked four days away to get the finest female glacier specimens. They took those chunks up Trunda Mountain, they placed them in a shaded crevice, and they blanketed them with coal and chaff. They asked for God's blessings and sacrificed a goat. This is the first time they've returned since. Malik is hoping the glacier baby has grown. The future water supply of his village could depend on it. We scramble over boulders. Malik's friend, Saeed Baltistani, shows us the crevice where there's a car-sized block of ice, the glacier baby. In the falling rain, I ask. Do you think that she's growing? You can see. He says, yeah, look, the glacier is spreading under the rocks. But will it grow into something large enough to supply this village with water? Residents of other villages say they tried this method with mixed results. Across the border in India, Surya Narayanan Balasubramanian is an expert on artificial ice reservoirs. He says the point of glacier mating could be the ritual itself. So maybe the point was never to 
make baby glaciers it was more to have uh, the value of glaciers in you know in the society a ritual that drives home the importance of glaciers and perhaps what the ritual underscores now is how desperate people are to find ways to adapt to climate change but other scientists say the process is sound this is mountain hydrologist jacob steiner ice grafting works you take that ice put it into caves and there it's much colder it's going to rain on top as well so it's going to freeze so that ice actually grows but steiner says to be clear the residents aren't creating glaciers they're growing ice Amid this debate, Chunda's residents have a prominent backer, the United Nations Development Program. It helps people adapt to climate change in Pakistan. They provided a few hundred dollars for the glaciomating ritual. Knut Utsby is the Pakistan representative. We should not underestimate the power of the ingenuity of people themselves. And they do have ingenuity. People in Baltistan are teaching themselves another way to curb water shortages by building ice stupas basically a frozen fountain that melts in spring. It's a technique pioneered in neighbouring India and migrated here through YouTube videos. So hours from where residents are trying to make glaciers, we drive to the village of Pari, where there's a more visibly successful endeavour. We meet Bashir Haidari near the village stream that he says was once drying up for lack of snowfall. Then five years ago, he watched a video about ice stoopers and figured out how to build one. He takes us up the local mountain with his friends to show us what he made. Haidari's friends chant in praise as they see it. Haidari created this ice stupper by piping water downstream to a gorge. The water rushed down and was forced up through nozzles. It sprayed out like mist. It froze through the winter. On the day we arrive, it's a truck-sized pile of ice. For months, it's been melting water into the village stream. One friend, Yasser Parvi, says villagers thought Haidari was crazy when he began. He's mentally upset. He's doing something that is impossible. Now, he's a star. One woman, Nargis, tells us before the stupa, she couldn't grow food for her kids. She tears up and says, thank God for this man. Hours away in the village of Machulo, residents are also resolving water shortages in a more traditional way. As evening falls, they gather by the village stream. One woman, Zahra, says, we've come to steal water. She laughs, but it's dire. As night falls, Zahra uses her shovel to divert water into her irrigation canal. Machulo villagers are meant to take it in turns to use the stream water. And it's not Zahra's turn. But she says she's desperate. If she can't grow food, her family goes hungry. One elder tells me he hopes to try build an ice stupper this fall. Like a person drowning, he says, we will try anything. Dear Hadid, NPR News, Machulo. That's the state of the world from NPR. If you appreciate stories like this from Bangladesh and the glaciers of Pakistan, consider supporting us. You can sign up for State of the World Plus at plus.npr.org or in Apple Podcasts. You can also make a tax-deductible donation to your NPR station. You'll find links in our show notes. Our podcast is produced by Greg Dixon with help from Caroline Kelly. I'm Christine Arismith. Thanks for listening. 
This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. 